Amen. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, if you'll grab it, please, and turn to the book of Jonah, if you will. I joked last week, no shame. If you need to go to the table of contents, that's perfectly fine. Uh, it'll be on the, the wall in just a minute, in the screen in just a second. But let me catch you up. We started a new series, Walking Through the Book of Jonah, last week. Um, we did an intro and looked at the first six verses. Today, um, I want to finish chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 7 through 17 with a sermon called The Mercies of God. Uh, let me catch you up as you're, as you're flipping there. I hope you want to be there in your own Bibles because there's really good stuff and I want, to, want you to see it. Underline, highlight. We saw Jonah, this faithful prophet. You know the story. I, I was saying last week that the story is so much bigger than just the fish that would come get Jonah. Ironically, that is a, a, an important, crucial part, but it is not the most important part. Uh, and you've asked anybody on the street... Uh, with the exception, I know some of the kids were kind of trying to remember the story, but you'll ask anybody, even unbelievers on the street, and they'll tell you about this fish story with this guy named Jonah that gets swallowed up uh, by a fish in his disobedience. We saw last week this prophet Jonah, this faithful prophet of Jonah that was commanded by God to go to Nineveh, this dark, evil place this, this, this uh, capital of Assyria, these people did inexplicable things. I told you last week, I can't even talk about it because there's kids in the room of what they did. Some of the people that were persecuted and treated very unfairly and, and harshly were Israel, where Jonah was from. And Jonah is told to go to these people and preach to them, and what does Jonah collectively say? No. He disobeys, he runs, he goes and he finds a ship, and we talked last week about how the Lord, excuse me, how Satan, excuse me, how Satan loves to put boats that are ready for you to jump into. If you're looking to disobey, if you're looking for an out, and you're looking for an opportunity to, to, to break free in, against the will of God, that there is always conveniently a boat, catch this, that will take you right where your heart already wants to go. We can talk later if you want to talk to me personally. I can tell you stories of my life where I was in a bad place or maybe people that I know have been bad places and they chose that disobedient boat and it took them right where their hearts already wanted to be. Jonah fled. He runs. Uh, he gets on this boat. He goes 1,500 miles the opposite direction to Tarshish and these sailors are panicking. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're trying to figure out, and here's the point, the waves and the wind that the God Yahweh had sent. I'm going to test you today because this, this text today is going to challenge your theology a little bit. That God is the one who orchestrates the storm. God is the one who also orchestrates the fish to come. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But God does this. Two things that we're going to stand and read our text. We saw last week that God, in our disobedience, that it invites the discipline of the Lord. Deb talked about that. But also, and this is the hard part, it also knows that our sin, our disobedience affects other people. And we're going to see that and flesh this out a little bit today. So if you would stand, we're going to read our text. Today's scripture readers, Elena McGrew, she's going to come down and read our scripture. So if you will stand up, please. Jonah chapter 1, 7 through 17. The familiar scripture today. Elena will read it for us and then we will pray together. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. <clears throat> they cast lots, and then they fell on, and all of them fell on Jonah. So they asked him, "Tell us who is responsible responsible for you making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from, and what is your country? What from what people are you?" He answered, "I am a Hebrew, and I, and I worship God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land." 
was terrified then, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already fed his flesh. Then the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to pick you up to, to make you stop the sea and calm it down? He replied, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He <coughs> and he replied, and said he will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Amen. Thank you, Lane. Let's pray together. If you would, take a moment, um, as we do every week, just take a moment for yourself. Pray. Ask God to do something in your heart. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about storms. We're going to talk about these things that the Scripture teaches us, and, and maybe some of you in the room are going through it right now. Maybe some around the corner, but maybe life's great for you. But if you would, in your own heart, in your own way, ask God to change you and shape you, that his spirit would move. Uh, and if you don't mind, pray for me, uh, that I would speak truth from the word today, and that collectively every one of us would leave here different and changed. <clears throat> Father, you've heard your people. Uh, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know the struggles. You know the, the inner recesses of the, of the struggles and, and where our hearts are at. Uh, Father, I pray right now that you would just allow us to continue to worship you as we walk through this familiar narrative that so many of us we've probably heard before. And Father, would you test us? Would you stretch us? Would you mold us and allow all of us, all of us, God, to leave here different? For the hearts that are willing and the hearts that are uh, willing to put ourselves out there and to be, um, to be changed, would you be faithful to do just that? We ask it in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we pick this thing back up, we'll see, uh, we talked last week, that, that, that this, 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 these things in our life, the disobedience in our life, how it affects so many things. It invites the discipline of God. It invites this, how it affects other people. Uh, and this is something that Jonah willfully chose. Um, I think something that I think is kind of a, a curveball that may, again, challenge your theology is that one thing we've got to remove from our vernacular in the Christian culture is, I just fell into sin. I just, you know, found myself in that same spot. Just, no, we choose to do that. There is, a, there, there is nothing that we, I've heard it put this way, we walk into sin with our eyes wide open. Jonah does that as well. He is willfully disobeying. He is stepping out of what God has called him to do, and now God has, has brought forth this discipline, this storm. Uh, if you know me, you know that I, I have this thing, um, there's a name for it, thalassophobia. There you go. I'm just kidding. I'm not being diagnosed. Uh, I hate the ocean. I don't like it. This, this actually, this text gives me a little anxiety. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, when, we, when I think about uh, being uh, in a boat, much less, like who would go out in the ocean on purpose, much less uh, in a storm, everything about this text kind of stresses me out. Now, these sailors are lifetime sailors. This is what they do. They are panicking. The waves are crashing. And the way the text is going to show us is that right about verse 7, they're trying to figure out what's happening. 
They're trying to figure out whose fault it is that these storms are coming. They've thrown cargo overboard, trying to get lighter so they don't sink, and they're trying to figure it out. So as we walk through this text, we got to picture this, this, the waves crashing so much that it's just about to destroy this place. These experienced sailors are, are stressing out. They're trying to figure out. They think they're going to die, and the text picks up at verse 7. Then these sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this storm or this calamity. So they cast lots, and it fell to Jonah. Let's stop there for just a minute. It's important for us to understand, amidst this massive storm, these guys, waves crashing, they gather around and they do what the scripture tells us of casting lots. In your mind, picture rolling dice or things like that. The, the most we know about casting lots is they were stones, sometimes sticks, they were things that had symbols and colors, so that for those that were present, it was a way to try to figure out the will of God, figure out decisions, figure out what to do. And it was kind of a took a chance on it. And so they would do these things, and they would roll these, these, these lots, if you will, and the lot fell to Jonah. Now, I'll let you discuss this after lunch. You think that's coincidence. Jonah's going to tell them in a minute that it's him. So there's no curveballs today. They cast lots, and they say the same thing in Luke 23, where they're casting lots to try to figure out who gets Jesus' clothes once he's done being tortured. Who's going to get his clothes? So they cast lots. For those that are in the audience or those that are there to try to find out this will of God, this ordained purposes of God in this moment. So they're trying to figure out whose fault or purpose brought the storm. Was it Jonah? It was God. God brings the storm. Now, that's cute in a story, can I say this? But when I tell you and, I, and, and you're looking at things, you're going through a storm, and you have to uh, uh, faithfully evaluate this, say that God is faithful and sovereign, and he is not only allowing me to go through this, but maybe he purposed it, that will test your theology. That is the same thing that has caused some people to leave the faith, because how could God do this? Because they, they, they buy the lie that Satan has thrown through Genesis 3 of, well, God would never do that. He's holding out on you. He's not good if he's going to let you go through that. God is in control of this whole thing, even to the last verse of verse 17, that God appoints at the perfect time the fish to show up. So if the lot fell on Jonah, it's his sin, his disobedience, and it doesn't just affect him, it affects those around him. And we have to understand this because Jonah was the prophet, he knew the, the grace and the mercy, he was the one that was telling him, and he hated Nineveh, just like some of you hate other people. Some of you maybe have maybe struggles with relationships even with people in this room, in your family, in your extended family. And if God was to tell you to be faithful and to forgive and to love and to go, we would hop in a boat and say no. But in all areas of life, we can see this, that when we choose willfully, not accidentally, but we willfully choose to do something our way, God will often bring a storm. You see, the thing is that Jonah, hear this, Jonah has forgotten where he comes from. One of the greatest writers in the Bible that talked about mercy of God was Paul. And what he writes in 1 Timothy, this is on the screen, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, so pay attention. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the what? I'm the worst. Listen to this. But for that reason, I was shown what? Mercy. 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in me to receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the one and only God, to him be glory forever and ever. Paul understood as he felt to be the chief of sinners that God has extended mercy for him. And if you go through Paul's story, he goes to prison, he gets persecuted, he's done the persecution, he knows all this, but he's allowing the Holy Spirit to move in him and to work in him. He is able to extend mercy. You can't give what you don't have. Paul says he's the chief of sinners, but God has shown mercy. You see, we as, as, as human beings, Jonah, David, Put your name in there. We are sinners that deserve the full wrath of God. That we deserve nothing in this world except death, eternal damnation, eternal consequences, eternal everything. If we want to talk about what we're owed, we don't owe, we're not owed anything. And in those moments in my life, I, feel, I resonate with Jonah. In those moments where Jonah's like, no, I don't like them. I'm not going to do it. They've been mean to my people. They've killed my family. They've tortured our kids. They've done all this stuff. And you want me to preach repentance? No, find somebody else. And he not only goes to that boat last week, he pays the fare for it. You know, at the church, the church is gracious enough. Let me just say this. The church is gracious enough to allow Deb and I, we have an expense where, where if we're doing church business, traveling, hospital visits, going to activities, the church is covering our expenses so that we're not out so we can travel and go and, and, and have our gas and that kind of stuff. Well, we're on church business. But the church doesn't do that if I'm on vacation. You see, Jonah is not on God's business anymore. He's on his own. and He's going to pay the toll and the price. Jonah made that decision, and what I love about this, I've said this quote a thousand times, that's a dramatic, uh, not a thousand, uh, many times, C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means that we forgive, or if I could take a little leniency here, that we show mercy, we forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We do this by, there it is, remembering where we stand. And by meaning our words when we say in our prayers at night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We become like Jonah. I become like Jonah when I refuse to obey, obey God. Stay with me on this. And we refuse to extend mercy to others. We set our identity on other things. We lose sight of who we are in Christ. We forget of our, our sin and what we deserve and that God stepped in. And we forget where we came from. Now back to the story in verse 8. We see this. So they're trying to figure out these pagans that have cried out to lowercase g gods. They're casting lots. It lands on Jonah. They're still trying to figure it out. Look at verse 8. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. Look at the questions. They're asking identity questions. There's four of them. Look what he says. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? They're asking questions of identity because they want to figure it out because in the first century, what you, where your identity was at is often what you would worship. That's another sermon for another day. What your identity is is what you're going to worship. So whatever that is that you value, you're going to exalt everything to that. What country? What group? And they asked him, but look at what he says in verse 9. This is something that was kind of, I was kind of wrestling through this week, and God kind of was teaching me so much. Look at what he says in verse 9. 
He said, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now right then, you would think that these guys would panic in a mode of going, the God of the universe, Yahweh, the Lord, you worship him. Now we know. But something God has been teaching me, his first response of identity, catch this, I hope you have your Bibles, if not, I don't want you to miss this. He says, I'm a what? I'm a Hebrew. Now Daniel Timmer, who's a, who's a, a guy much smarter than I, a theological mind uh, that commentates on a lot of this, a lot of scholars believe that, listen, listen this is a great quote, since Jonah identifies himself first ethnically as a Hebrew, not as his faith, but as a Hebrew ethnically, then religiously we may infer that his ethnicity is foremost in his self-identity. Let me break this down to more simple. Jonah's faith is not what's most important to him. His identity in this moment is not rooted in the mercy and the grace of God. His identity is not in the gospel as we know it. His identity in this text is in his Jewishness. And because his identity in this moment from this former faithful, faithful servant of God in his disobedient, inviting the wrath, inviting the storms, inviting that, that Jonah, in this choice of being loyal to God or himself, he chose loyalty to the nation. He chose loyalty to his nation is more important than bringing God's message to these people. It's another sermon for another day, but there's a lot of things in here. I could chase this rabbit all day, but I'm not going to do it. But that would be like us thinking, it's more important for me to be an American citizen than a child of God. Who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm an American. That's not what I, it happens to be a Christian. I've got an election coming up. This might be relevant later. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. And Jonah, hear this, Jonah has forgotten in his rebellion where he's come from. Tim Keller says this, shallow Christian identities explain why professing Christians can be racist, greedy materialist, addicted to beauty and pleasure, or filled with anxiety, and maybe prone to even overwork. All this is because, excuse me, comes because it's not Christ's love, but the world's power, the world's approval, the world's comfort and control that are the real roots of our self-identity. Now, this, this convicts me. I know you just got to hear it one time, but all week I've been reading through this, and it's just been smacking me a little bit. But this is what happens when we allow something else to be the driving force of our life. This is how people that claim Jesus, to claim to know him, love him, follow, but they can harbor grudges, unforgiveness, even racism, even anxiety. It's because they placed their value and their identity in something else. That is what a lot of scholars believe is happening in this intimate moment here. I'm a Hebrew. See, if your identity, say with me, if your identity is in performance, then when somebody hurts you or doesn't love you, you can be done with them. If your identity is found in your race, then if somebody wrongs you from that, you're going to cancel a whole people group because of them. If it's in gender, then you're going to see the world through that lens alone. If it's in body image, then you're going to become bitter and worse by comparisons. If it's in your success, then comparisons will destroy you. When you see somebody else's field, their crop, their car, their kids, it's going to destroy you. You'll become bitter, and you're going to want to rebel, and you forget where you come from. If it's in success, 
Comparisons will destroy you. If it's in your kid's success, you can't enjoy the success of other people's kids because it's an attack on yours. If it's in money, it might pull you beyond the moral boundaries because that's what drives you. On and on we could go, but it's not in the gospel, but the good news of Jesus, the driving force of our life will determine how we live. That's why Paul says this in Galatians. Excuse me, I have a pen here. Paul says this in Galatians, when he says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when he's talking about how all these things that matter, he says, Jesus is the driving force. He says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And it's not that those things aren't important, but he's saying they are trumped by the gospel. And when we choose, and when I choose, and when you choose, hear this, to put your identity in something else, and it's the driving force of your life, God will bring, allow, however you want to word it that's more palatable for you, a storm. I told you, this is going to test your theology. Some of you are going to walk out and go, like, I don't know. That's not what I was taught. I was taught that God's good, rainbows, unicorns, all good stuff, any bad stuff, that's the devil. Well, nothing about this text is anything that Satan's in control. God is the driving force of this whole thing. So let's be on the same page. Verse 10. Let's keep going. They were terrified, obviously. They were terrified. And they asked him, what have you done? But I love this because the scriptures tell us they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had told them. He knew. You're going to see several times in the scriptures, I know it's on the screen in your Bible, the capital Lord, it's Yahweh. It's the intimate name for the Jewish God that they had. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I need you to hear this just for a moment, and you write this down if you want to. But God will send a storm to break you from self-reliance. I don't have the time to go through it, but I can tell you my personal testimonies, I can tell you testimonies of so many people that I've walked through over the last 21 years of ministry in the church of people that have walked through this and they're, they're, tried, they're wrestling and they're, they're in, in disobedience or their, their life or their unforgiveness and they're holding and God has brought this storm and maybe don't even know it yet. Most of the times in my life, the storms, I didn't know until I looked back and I was like, that's what he was doing. I didn't know. I was too, me, I was too stubborn and hard-headed. I didn't want to see it in those moments. But I see his mercy. And maybe you're like I am. Somebody often, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, how do I know? Because here, church, can I just be honest with you? It's going to get real quiet in the room. Some of you are in a storm now. Some of you, there's a storm coming right around the corner. Well, how do I know? Is what I'm going through right now a storm that God is using? I can't answer that question for you. I have had people in my office. I have had people on the phone. I've had people in my face. People like, I don't know what's going on. Is this my past? Is this God punishing me? Is this God doing it? And I don't know what to say other than I, maybe could be. How do I know? Well, we pray and we test the spirit, we consume the word, we surround ourselves with godly counsel. And we do what David did in Psalm 139 when he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Break through the callousness of my heart and grab my heart and pull me out of that hard-heartedness. Because I think Jonah is a good example, just like my life is a good example. In those moments where I'm disobedient, I place my identity in something else, which leads to a life of rebellion, unforgiveness. I don't want to show mercy. I want to receive mercy, but I don't want to give it. It's, it's this dark place. And you want God to show you the evil of our hearts and expose our sin, and we cry out and say, God, help us. 
It's like the old thing, you can't, you can't be an extension of mercy. We can't help others see and savor the mercy of God when we don't live in it as well. It's like the old, uh, the old illustration of being on an airplane. Uh, and what do they tell you when the oxygen mask comes down? You're supposed to fight the natural instinct, which is for your wife and kids and save everybody. They're like, what are you supposed to do on, with the air mask? Help me out. Put it on yourself first. It should be, if not, you've got to test yourself. It should be, that should be the opposite of your natural inclination, right? I mean, let's be honest. But you can't help anybody else if you're passed out. That's, that's, but it fights that natural urge. Just put it on there. I'm good. No, you've got to. Put it on your kids. No, you got to put it on yourself, and then you can help other people. This is why God shows mercy. He sends storms. He attacks our idols. He, he does this as a driving force. He wants to, hear this, he wants to destroy strongholds in our lives that we might think are worth pursuing. So if you're a slave of money, he might allow financial struggle. If you're a slave to a sexual addiction, he might expose that so that you can get some help. If you're addicted to approval, if that's the driving force of your identity, then he might allow disappointments in relationships. If you're living in spiritual apathy or indifference, he might allow that to allow you see how that's going to trickle to your family. If success is your identity, then he might allow you to fail. If your identity is in your children, he might allow things to struggle. I don't know. Self-centered in your marriage, he might bring marriage struggles so he can work things out, find out what you're leaning on besides him. If you're indifference to the church, he might allow you to see how it affects your families. I read something the other day that every family is four generations from never being a part of the church again. It takes four generations to apathy for, for finally one generation to be like, they're not a part of the body anymore. Pride and independence. God might allow these habits to humble you and to break you so that you can find out what you're standing on besides him. Some of you might be there. Stay with me on this. Some of you might be there now. Maybe you're wondering, I don't know. The season has been great, or maybe the season has been hard. But there may be some that can hear my voice that you know in your life there's, there's disobedience. There's, there's, there's things of your life that are not what God is wanting you to do. And there's struggle. And maybe his grace and his mercy, just like a parent, he's trying to show you where to go. I said it last week, don't get in the boat. It's always going to be there. There's always going to be a stupid boat sitting right there that Satan's going to have. You pay your fare. You get in. It'll tell you where. It'll take you where you want to go. But don't do it. He allows these storms to humble us, to draw us back. Now watch this. God's going to show mercy to Jonah. He's going to use these pagans. This is going to go quick. But look at verse 11. The sea. This is where I get a little anxious in my weirdness of the ocean, but the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, what should we do to make the sea grow calm down for us? What does Jonah say? Kill me. Pick me up, throw me overboard, it'll solve the whole problem. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know it's my fault, and that this storm, that this storm has come upon you. Verse 13, what did they do? Instead, these men did their best to row back to the land. This is kind of comical. They did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Now, there's so much in here, but this sea is going crazy. And Jonah's going, it's me, it's my disobedience, just kill me. But you know what he's not doing yet? Please hear this. Let me tell you about the God of the universe. Let me tell you about Yahweh that sends the storm. He could have repented, I'm sorry, it's my fault, I've been disobedient, I've done this. No, he just says, just, I'd just rather be out, just kill me. 
He could have repented, and it, I bet the storms would have ceased right then. He wants out. Instead, verse 13, it's kind of comical. Picture this seed that is apparently making these guys think they're going to die, but now they think they're going to outrow God's wind and waves. I mean, like, just picture them. They're rowing together. Let's go. We got it. Let's go. It ain't going to happen. But it's a picture of, whew, this is where the sailors come, this is where God really humbles me. Man, I'm so much like those guys. I think I can fix this. That's my rowing. That's my only row I got. Okay? That's all I got. Oh, I got this. I can do it. God says this, and you're like, nope, fix this. We're going to save Jonah. We're going to do this. Everything's going to be all fine. They got a real problem, and they need a real solution. Their idols weren't helping. Jonah tells them it's his fault. The lots have already told him it's him, but even them in this moment, they're still trying to figure this thing out. What a great picture of what we don't need to do. Saying things like, I don't need the church, I don't need to organize religion, I got this, I don't need, I don't need to, to hear preaching, I don't need to worship, I don't need small groups, I don't need the Bible, I don't need uh, whatever that could be that Satan wants to wean you into that boat, but we can find ourselves these moments of these self-solutions. And we turn, this is what happens, it happens, it's like clockwork, it's textbook. In those moments, we turn to sinful habits and hobbies and identities, just like these pagans. We place ourselves in other things, and then God has to create a storm or bring something into our life to help us see the error of our ways. Jonah would rather get thrown over. He'd rather die than say, God, I messed up. God, forgive me. Spare these sailors. It's my fault. They're the collateral damage of my sin. That's why Bruckner says this, it says, Jonah does not seem to be capable of simple repentance, this prophet. He prefers to believe or wants to believe in a God who only judges and does not forgive. He would rather die in the sea than suggest that these sailors turn around and return him to Joppa and complete Yahweh, the Lord's call to Nineveh. He would rather die. Let me ask you this question. Would you rather die, give or take the words, would you rather suffer the storm and be obedient. Often we do. We see them in verse 14, and I'm going to lay in the plane. We'll finish this text up. This futile attempt, they're trying to row. Jonah doesn't want to repent. He doesn't want to help. He's still being stubborn, still not wanting to do this. Look at verse 14. Then they cried out. You'll see the Lord several times in capital letters. You're going to see this, this Yahweh, this word for this intimate God of the Jews. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. If I'm Jonah and I'm hearing this prayer, Jonah's like, yeah, this is about to go down. They're about to, this is going to happen. They're praying, God, we're about to take him out. Forgive us for what we're about to do. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. See that? They still think Jonah's innocent. They Jonah's taking no ownership, nothing. They think they're going to kill an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They're starting to get it. Then they took Jonah. I always want to picture this. If Jonah was just like there, like, take me, or did he put up a fight, or like, fine, I'll walk, I'll help you. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and then the raging sea did what? Are you with me? What happened? It grew calm. At this, these men greatly, what did it say? They feared who? Are you with me this morning? Did I already lose everybody? They feared what? Good. They feared the Lord. They feared Yahweh. 
These pagans, they feared the Lord. They feared Yahweh. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They made vows to him. Now, people debate, did they truly know him? Did they add him to the pantheon of gods? And that's really not the main point here, but they, in this moment, have been saved and redeemed from this storm. And then verse 17, everybody's favorite. We'll talk more about it next week, so come back. There's your teaser. Come back. Now, the Lord, Yahweh, provided or appointed at the perfect time. You ever wonder if this fish is out there just circling? Nope, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. The Lord appointed this time, perfect time just after the storm has diminished and the seas grow calm. Maybe the clouds part. Maybe the sun peeks out. And just in perfect timing, this appointed fish, or well, you take your pick, comes across and swallows Jonah. Mercy. Mercy. What did Jonah deserve for his disobedience? Same thing we deserve for our sin, death. God saved him. God rescued him. God extended mercy to him. And as I close, I want you to see this. There's a lot more. Please come back next week. I'm not just trying to make this thing up. Next week's really good. The, the prayer of Jonah in the belly. There's so much there. It's so good. Fourteen through seventeen is riddled with Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. This intimate name of God by the Jews. Now I'll close with this, and then we're going to pray. Here's the thing: is I, I, there, I've got several names and titles. Some of you in this room, you know me as pastor. That's all you know me as. Like that's that's the extent of our relationship. That's the you know pastor ministry. Some of you, you know me as David. Like, we could be friends, we're hanging out, you know me, I'm David who happens to be the pastor of the church, there's different kind of things, that's great. There's only three people in the world that can call me one name, and that's dad. That's a name that nobody else can call me. And if you're dad in the room, you're going to get this because there's this moment, and it's going to come back next week, so please come back, I keep teasing that, so come back. There's only three people in the room that can say something, and they, when they call out dad, sometimes they want dad to come in and rescue, to help, to save. Even the other day, Sadie was like, Dad! Sorry, I scared you. I didn't mean to make you jump. There's a fly on the window. I was like, okay, calm down. I'll get it. See, the, the, the sailors, Yahweh, intimate. They call out. But here's the thing, and please hear me. I'm almost done. I know there's stuff going on here, but please hear me. Some of you in this room, if I ask you, if I ask you to raise your hand and say, I'm in a storm right now, and I don't know what, I don't know if it's self-induced, I don't know if it's just whatever, if it's my disobedience, I'm trying to pray through this, I don't really get it, but life is kind of brutal right now. I wouldn't wish what I'm going through on my worst enemy. And maybe some of your life's going great, but you know somebody who's going through a trial, going through something, and would you just cry out to him and say, Yahweh, Father, Dad, Help. This is going to unpack more next week. And as he's in the belly of the fish in this pit, if you will. And he's looking up and he's crying for help. Jonah deserved to be drowned. He deserved to die. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent a fish and rescued him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads where you're at for just a second. I'm almost done, so please bear with me. Today as I close, I just want you to take a moment before we sing, before we do anything else, and Please don't miss it. Don't miss what God might be trying to show you today. Because if we're honest, sometimes we're just happy. We're willing to say, no, I just want to choose that boat of disobedience and just go. 
And some of you have come to the end of that boat run and you're like, I can't do this anymore, I'm done. So I ask you to, to find somebody, ask for prayer, come down and ask for prayer, just find somebody, cry out to God and say, God, I don't know if this is your storm, but life's not fun right now. There's struggle somehow, some way, whatever it could be, and maybe you're just trying to figure out, God, what is this? Is it me? Is it my disobedience? Is it something in my life? Is it some sin? Is it my past? Is, it some, is there something that's going on in my life that you're allowing these circumstances to show me something? My prayer today is that God would restore the sinner, those of us in disobedience, the wayward, those who are running. If that's you, come back. Repent. Allow the Spirit of God, not David's word, allow the Spirit of God to, to draw you back, to see that that is a futile, endless pursuit. Some of you are like the sailors. You're trying to row this out and try to figure this thing out. You think, I got this. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need the pastor's help. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody. I'm going to fix this. It's not going to work out well for you. I can promise you that. You will find yourself, and this is God, this place in my heart, you will find yourself like a girl in a youth group I had back in forever ago that looks at me in my face and tells me that it would be better to do these other things, but if I want to live this way, and I guess if it means i got to hit rock bottom, then I'm going to have to figure that out. Please don't be that way. Repent. Turn. Come to him. Cry out, God, show me. Is this of you? What are you trying to show me? And he will respond. He will not send a storm unless he's going to explain it to you. He's not the God of confusion. So if you're not sure, then don't stress about it. But some of you know. You know the disobedience of your heart. And you know the decisions that you've made. And there's comp Don't run from it. Come to him. God, show me. Strengthen me. I'm sorry. Break me from that. Break me from that identity that I have to have so that I can place it on you. I just want to give you a second to pray. The praise team's going to play. Um, I just want you to have a moment to cry out to him if you'd like to. So this is your time. I'll be down here. Dev will be here. I'd love to pray with you. Come down and pray at the altar. Find a friend. Stay seated. Whatever you want to do. This is your time between you and the Spirit. But the praise team's going to play.